My Famed Explained podcast, episode 23, Chris Morris. But, but in terms of our price point, according to the International Wine and Spirits Record, which is an international organization that, that um, records our industry, uh, we are the number one selling super premium American whiskey of any type. So we are very fortunate. Welcome to the My Famed Explained podcast, a podcast with the people you know and the personal stories behind their fame. I'm your host, Larry Gilbert. On this episode, Chris Morris. He's just the second master distiller of Woodford Reserve Distillery, who was an integral piece in the development of the brand when it launched in 1996. As head master distiller of one of the world's fastest growing bourbons, he spends his days innovating and planning future releases. He's also the mastermind behind Woodford Reserve Double Oaked, Rye, and the Masters Collection. Here's my conversation with Chris Morris and his Kentucky bourbon fame explained. You were born and raised in Kentucky and you spent your whole life there? Well, Larry, I grew up right here in Kentucky and um, had a wonderful childhood. Went to a local university and went away for a university for my, one of my... Uh, master's degree. So basically, I'm I'm a Kentuckian. I read that your parents were also in the distilling business. So is that what influenced you to follow in their footsteps? Like, when in your life did you know that you as well wanted to make a career out of it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I did not grow up as I don't know how many children do grow up thinking thinking about the future and what they will be in terms of a professional or career. Um, I just sort of flowed with the tide and uh, growing up in a bourbon family and um, going to the old Forester distillery when I was a small child, when dad was working on weekends, spending Saturdays and Sundays there, playing literally in the distillery grounds. Um, that was just part of life for me. And, and when I was um, old enough to get a beginning position at the company, that's what I did. And it was just just what you did. And I never really thought much about it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a part of like the history and culture of, of Kentucky in that area. So, yes, that because it was an important business, at least certainly locally, and not knowing that when I was joining uh, the bourbon industry was literally at its peak. And I was beginning at the at the beginning of its long term decline. Um, for bourbon specifically, whiskey in general, spirits, um, until the, the current renaissance or resurgence, um, just didn't know any better. And um, it was a way of life, um, a good life, and um, just didn't think anything else about it. So like, what was your first job at the, at the distillery? Do you oh, remember? And what was that like? Yes. Um, technically, I was working for the lab, as it was called today. Okay. It would be called a research and development. Of course, we're a much larger organization than we were 46 years ago. But I worked in the lab. And as a, as a young person in the lab, um, one of my early responsibilities was to sample and check the quality of grain that came into the distillery. I also monitored the water supply coming out of the deep wells. And then uh, ultimately, um, I helped set up uh, the mature taste samples for the taste panel, which of course involved the master distiller. And that's where I really 
uh, was exposed to the quality and the descriptive analysis and all those quality things that go along with a distilled spirit matured product. The distillery where Woodford Reserve is located is in central Kentucky and has quite a history to it with Old Forester and all that. So talk a bit about, about the history of the distillery from the 1800s all the way to today. Well, yes, uh, Larry. Our, our company, Brown Foreman, is the oldest spirits company in America, founded in 1870 on the Old Forester brand. The Old Forester distillery has always been in Louisville. And in 1941, Brown Foreman purchased the old Oscar Pepper distillery in Woodford County, Kentucky, which is about an hour's drive east of Louisville. And it had become, under new ownership, the LeBron and Graham Distillery. And again, we bought it in 1941 and operated it as LeBron and Graham until 1959. My father spent some time there as well. And we closed the distillery in 1959 and held on to it for a number of years, having stripped it of its distillation equipment, some of which is still in use at the Old Forest Distillery in Louisville to this day, uh, removed the barrel inventory over years, and in the early 1970s sold the site to a local farmer who wanted the acreage as farmland and as a result saved the distillery from destruction. He just ignored that small seven acre slice of really unfarmable land along the Glens Creek and he thought we were done with it. Uh, we came back a generation later, bought it back, and restored those historic buildings, put in all new equipment, ironically, all new equipment that looked like it was 100 plus years old, pot stills and cypress fermenters, and created Woodford Reserve from scratch. And i um, very proud of that process. And the, and the brand, that started in 1996? Yes, that's when we launched with Reserve, October 1996, and that first year we sold, as far as I can recall, 125 cases because we were selling a new bourbon in a time when no one needed a bourbon, much less a new bourbon. Yeah, uh, It was not the best of times to launch a new brand, but um, our chairman of the board, Housley Brown II, uh, decided that's something we were going to do. And uh, he was a, a great grandson of the founder of Brown Foreman, George Garvin Brown, who created Old Forester. So um, he had bourbon in his blood as well. And uh, we all loved Mr. Asley, who's no longer with us. And we made it happen. And now we've gone from 125 cases a year to over a million cases a year. Uh, so we really helped bring his vision to life. That's just amazing. And the distribution is global? We, we are in many countries uh, globally, not all. We're not Jack Daniels. We're not everywhere. Right. That's our goal, right. certainly. Yeah. But um, we are in certainly Western Europe, uh, developed countries in Asia, uh, starting to make a little headway in South America, which is not bourbon country anyway, nor is Africa. So we still have a lot of great distribution opportunities ahead of us. But certainly in, um, in North America, and globally, we're the fifth largest bourbon now, which is hard to believe. Now, of course, several ahead of us are much, much larger in terms of volume. Mm -hmm. but, but in terms of our price point, according to the International Wine and Spirits 
record, which is an international organization that, that um, records our industry, uh, we are the number one selling super premium American whiskey of any type. So we are very fortunate. And you, you're just the second master distiller of the brand, right? That's what I think a lot of people yes. may not know. Um, yes, the, the wonderful gentleman I went to work for in 1976, my first boss, was the master distiller I succeeded, the, the late Lincoln Henderson. Okay, and um, and what I find special about this is that you've actually had a lot of firsts, too, with your innovation, right? Um, we're creating the world's first bourbon finish in a Chardonnay and Pinot Noir barrels, and then you also developed the world's first maple barrel. Um, so is, yes, I, so is innovating, is that enjoyable to you? And um, talk about like that process and, and what you've done so far, and is there anything that you want to do that you, that you haven't been able to do yet? Well, yes, certainly, Larry. I think growing up in the industry... And again, uh, knowing individuals and, uh, who had been at Brown Foreman in the bourbon industry literally since the 1930s as I grew up, it was sort of like a small child today asking mom and dad, why is the sky blue? Uh -huh. Why do we have to go to grandma's? You know, why do we have to do this? And the answer is always because it is or, it's, you know, something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah. So, so. Growing up in, in once I was in, in the company, it's like, um, things I probably should have known, but I didn't at the time because we didn't have the educational processes, didn't have the Internet and everything we have today. Like, why do we have to go into oak barrels? Because we do, because you know, it's the law, you know, those kind of answers. Why do we have to do this? It's because we've always done it this way. Like, well, why? Um, and that was fine, I guess, growing up with bourbon as a, as a tight vision, a parochial vision. But of course, I start to be exposed to a new industry that our ancestors had not been, which was the growth of single malts, uh, the growing popularity of cognac, um, crazy things like bijou and so, you know, like I never heard of bijou, cachaca, what's cachaca? Yeah. So we, we start learning about this whole world of spirits, beers, and wines. There was no craft beer movement. Now there is a craft beer movement. So things were changing. And that led me to ask questions. Why are we doing this? Or why don't we do that? And since there were no satisfactory answers other than because, um, I thought we should start trying different things. And I was very fortunate at the time that Brown Foreman was um, was such a successful company, and within Brown Foreman, Woodford was a small piece of business, wasn't vital to the company at the time, that we could do things and get away with things that we normally wouldn't have been able to, say, if we were at our Jack Daniels distillery or something like that. So we were able to institute some real innovative ideas. And... Uh, in terms of volume, they were tiny. Uh, the risks we took um, in terms of financial was small, but in terms of, of prestige or our company image, they were really big risks, like making a barrel out of maple. No one had ever done that in the history of the world. Yeah. Uh, no, one, no one had put a bourbon whiskey in a Chardonnay barrel, a variety wine barrel, ever. And we took a lot of flack for that from those who were following the industry at the time because you know, it was considered to be sacrilegious to do that. But we did it, and uh, we learned a lot. We had a lot of fun and had some sleepless nights, as you can imagine. But um, 
in the long term, it really revolutionized the industry. Look at where the industry collectively is today. Yeah, definitely. And what, I was actually going to ask about that. What's a typical day like, you know, for, for you? It must it almost feels like it would be a seven day a week job or, you know, it, it is your life. Yeah, well, it really is. It's not a job. It's it's a, it's a career. It's certainly a, a passion. Mm-hmm. So uh, never off the clock. But who watches the clock in, in regards to something they love to do? I'm always researching, reading, trying. I just literally came from a luncheon with my Wood Reserve Innovation Team, uh, headed up by Assistant Master Stiller Elizabeth McCall. Uh, three young people, two women, one young man, who I'm training to, you know, to replace me, succeed me when I'm gone, about how do we innovate. And we were talking about some really, I can't say it on your, on your wonderful podcast. I was, I was just really, going to say, yeah, can you, can yeah. you let us in on it? Okay. No, no, because it, <laughs> they might not happen. Right, but, right. To uh, be continued. Some, some very interesting uh, grain concepts. Um, which we'll, we'll put into our pallet plant. So we agreed to do some experimentation. So we're always, always thinking and getting together and just seeing what, what, what we can come up with. And uh, the, the portfolio, the Double Oak, the Rye, the Master's Collection, um, what distinguishes all of those differently? And, um, and you know, did those start as a, a small batch and then it was something that, okay, this is we got something here and then now let's, you know, mass distribute it or, or how does that process work? Well, again, I can't speak for other distilleries, but I think it's important to have uh, a philosophy by how you manage your distillery and manage your, your brand, a rationale for products that flow from that philosophy. Um, so you need some, some discipline, some rigor, or, or else you're going to just be bouncing off the walls with different ideas. And with reserve, um, our our philosophy is to to manage the five areas of whiskey flavor formation in any whiskey distillery. And Larry, whether you're in Scotland, Ireland, Kentucky, Tennessee, you name the country, mm-hmm. uh, what does your water supply uh, deliver to the final product, if anything? What's your grain recipe impact? How do you ferment, distill, and mature your product? So. We have those well-defined in the Wood Reserve uh, flavor formation profile. We have our unique strain of yeast, our extra-long fermentation process. We have the customized Woodford barrel. So we have certain invaluable concepts that we can adjust via grain recipe. And, again, maturation. We do have the Woodford barrel, but maybe we want to use a maple barrel, etc. So... Which of the five sources of flavor will we alter? And we only alter one of the five. That's part of our our self-imposed rules. And we have the core bourbon, which is the foundation. So all of our experimentation, innovation flows from that standard. Our limestone water from the pepper spring, 72 corn, 18 rye, 10% malt, seven-day fermentation with unique Woodford proprietary yeast, copper pot distillation, maturation, and the heavily toasted, heavily charred with reserve barrel from our own cooperage matured in heat cycled warehousing. So that's the baseline. So what do we change as we go forward? And our great, great 
platform for innovation has been the master's collection. Change one of those five sources of flavor and you create a unique whiskey. And that has led to Kentucky's first ever 100% rye whiskey, which people forget about. Uh, and that 100% rye led to our current rye, which is 53% rye. Uh, we made Kentucky's first ever 100% single malt whiskey in the master's collection. That has led to our 51% standard Kentucky straight malt whiskey. We made the seasoned oak finish in the master's collection. The first whiskey matured in a unique barrel and then finished in another unique new barrel. And that led to the development of double oaked. So the master's collection has been a springboard for rye malt. And, and let's don't forget our wonderful Kentucky straight wheat whiskey. It came from our four grain, our first master's collection, which was the first four grain whiskey in the world, corn, rye, malt, and wheat. So the master's collection has given us our core and double oaked. And again, it's innovative whiskey based on changing one of the five areas of flavor. Our distillery series is the same concept, but the changes we make or even more difficult or less scalable. We can't make as much of it. So distillery series are again, first of their kind whiskeys on a much smaller scale and therefore only available at the distillery itself. For people that may not know too much about whiskey, um, what's the process? How long does the process take from start to, to finish? Uh, yes. Um, for example, to make a, one of our distiller select range, straight bourbon, straight rye, straight malt, straight wheat, it takes approximately one week to make the distillate through, through fermentation and distillation. So give us a good seven, eight days, and we'll have the raw spirit, the new make spirit, and then is entered at 110 proof in our new barrel. And then into warehouse it goes, and... It could be in that barrel uh, uh, for no less than five years. That's our minimum. And sometimes our barrels are going up into the, the 10 plus year range because we batch barrels together to make a consistent flavor profile. So let's just say eight year average for a core product. Then if you get into a product like Double Oaked, which starts with that eight-year whiskey, mm -hmm. and then we finish it in a second barrel, um, you start adding one, two, three, and we finish up to five years, depending on the product, in the second barrel. So again, there's a lot of time involved. And those are our everyday production products. When you get into innovation, you have to add the trial and error to that production time. So it might be two, three, four years of working in our pilot plant testing concepts. And after that lengthy period of time, then you produce it and then you start the clock again. So oh, it can take a long time. Yeah. So with some of them, you know, you're talking eight, 10 years plus. Yes. We've had products in development and finally come out uh, uh, 17, 18 years later. Oh my gosh! So uh, when when that does happen, when you know the product is finally finished, that must feel like such an accomplishment to you to be able to uh, you know have a have a taste of the first batch when it when it's finally ready to go. Yes, um, I like to say this industry, this business takes a lot of patience, and 
and I'm one of the least patient people you're going to find. I want it now, <laughs> now, now. Um, but, but so, yes, when you finally get to that point, it's, it's really gratifying to go, we're finally here and we can move on to the next project that's been waiting for years and years to bring out. <laughs> on to the next one, huh? For me, you know, I'm just average consumer, but I don't think sometimes people understand that when, you know, when you do have a glass of whiskey, whatever, the, the process, the amount of time and patience, like you said, that goes into, into, you know, just being able to enjoy that glass today, what it, what it actually started at years ago. For yes, it. no, it's, uh, and, and people don't need to see behind the curtain is just as long as they finally have gotten a bottle or, uh, a, a pour in their glass and they enjoy it. That's all we care about making sure people enjoy it. Um, do you, is there any particular way to, to drink it that, that either you prefer or the way it should be consumed, whether it's neat or on the rocks or, um, well, I joke, I jokingly answer that question, <laughs> preferred way to drink it every day, every of, day. Course. of course, of course, every day. But, um, and everybody has their own preference, which is absolutely appropriate. Um, I prefer on the rocks. I like my wood preserve bourbon on the rocks. Uh, some will like it neat. Some will like it in a cocktail, uh, such as a Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Not that I don't like a good Manhattan, but my go-to is Woodford on the Rocks. So we make our product, literally, Larry, for, for you to enjoy. And if you enjoy it with a mixer, if you enjoy it with a big splash of water, go for it. That's what we, we want to hear. Is as long as you enjoy it, that's what we like to hear. Do you enjoy visiting bars and restaurants that carry Woodford Reserve and ordering it and enjoying it in a public setting? To me, the best um, compliment to us is you go to a nice bar or restaurant. And, you know, today, which would have been unheard of years ago, but today you'll see a drink menu. You know, here's our Manhattan. Here's our household fashion. Here's our uh, uh, car vue, Here's our Boulevard A, whatever. And... And if they have Woodford in it, like, ooh, that's great. I'll give that a try. Or even better, if they have a custom drink, you know, the house drink, which is made with Woodford Reserve. So that's my go-to is to see what the bar has recommended using Woodford Reserve. And just to see the creativity of the bar team, um, how they've used Woodford Reserve is always fun. And, uh, again, the distiller can't ask for a better compliment than that. Have you been able to see some some drinks where, you know, it's like where you probably said, hey, I never thought of using it in that way. But but that's a great way of using it. And and then, uh, you know, maybe started ordering those after that. Oh, absolutely. Um, that, again, that creativity um, across this great world of ours is just amazing. And. Uh, these bartenders will come up with concepts that, again, like you note, uh, I wouldn't have ever dreamed of. And um, so uh, you always you always find something very interesting and uh, maybe sometimes a little complicated or hard to remember uh, 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 when you return to the hotel or return home. But uh, <laughs> uh, just the memory of enjoying that drink was something special. Yeah, yeah. What I started to do uh, in the past couple of months is I would write down what whiskey it was that I sampled and then what I liked about it, what I didn't oh. like about it, and, you know, some flavor, uh, some tasting notes as well. Um, oh, good, yeah. Which which I uh, heard an interview where you talked about tasting notes, and that wasn't a, a thing with whiskey. No, that, um, I have to give credit to um, Scotch whiskey when um, in 1991 I... Um, saw my first single malt scotch for sale in Kentucky, which, you know, obviously we're, we're not a big scotch market here. Mm -hmm. 
and it had just been released. And this malt whiskey and some others had taste notes like you might associate with a bottle of wine. And I thought that was fascinating. Whiskey had taste notes. Because if you look at the history of bourbon advertising, uh, the two descriptors are smooth and mellow, whether they're accurate or not. Um, that was as far as they went. And uh, I thought taste notes. So I introduced the use of taste notes to the industry in 1992. And um, some of the old distillers, um, uh, famous distillers who unfortunately are no longer with us, um, uh, well, one is the, the great Jimmy Russell at Wild Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, they called me the Foo Foo Distiller. Of course, I was very young, but I was the Foo Foo Distiller because I used these these uh, poetic terms to describe whiskey. But uh, within a couple of years, even Wild Turkey was using taste notes because the, the, the consumer wanted those or appreciated the fact that, that bourbons are different and, and uh, have flavors in them that people just didn't think about. So I was really proud of, uh, of that uh, introduction to, of taste notes to the industry. And what I like about, um, you know, that, that sort of flavor, I guess, is where it's, you know, aged in a barrel, where it gets its flavor, is very different from what I feel like is a lot of the commercialized whiskeys, like a peanut butter one or, a, you know, Fireball or something like that, where it's where the flavor is put in after, right? It's a totally yes, different I mean- process. See, to yes, me, to me, are, that doesn't taste authentic, though. You know, if, if it is flavored well, that way, I would rather have it aged in the barrel and then just have that distinct kind of, um, you know, t- taste in the background, if you will. You're sounding like a purist to me. In this case. <laughs> um, but that's just me. You those, know? You know, those whiskeys are absolutely legitimate because they are called flavored whiskeys. If you get into all of our technical terms mm-hmm. that we get from the federal government, um, they're flavored whiskey. So whiskey's the base, but as you noted, they've added different flavors. Um, whereas with reserve, uh, we're a pure, a pure whiskey. We don't have any added flavors. Our differences in flavors come from, again, changing a flavor source, like increasing the rye or the malt or adding wheat or doing something fundamentally um, different to make the whiskey taste different. But it's still 100% natural. Not anything added at all. That's not 100% authentic and natural. Okay, and and your name is on every bottle, and it's uh, each batch is numbered. Um, was that a, a concept from the beginning with the brand that you wanted it to be that way, um, to kind of you know make it unique in that sense, as opposed to you know other well, competitors? What the the um, that label design have to give credit to our marketing team, our brand team. Um, I wish I could take credit for designing our, our iconic package, but I can't. Um, uh, so uh, the use of the master distiller's name on the bottle uh, was the first time that had happened in the history of American whiskey. And then the, the batch number, I don't know if we were the first, but obviously uh, we were very early in doing that and the individual bottle number in addition to the batch number. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was a real innovation, um, again, from our packaging and marketing people. And um, uh, my, my, my mentor, Lincoln's name, was on the first 200 batches. And um, after his retirement, uh, my name has been on the next almost 8,000 batches. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, and there must still be then bottles 
out there with with his name on it. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, they are out there. That must be neat to come across a bottle like that and and know, you know, how far back it dates. Yeah, it definitely helps date it, certainly. (laughs) That's really cool. Um, Do you and do you have your own whiskey collection? And what's that like? And do you enjoy sampling other whiskeys or visiting other other distilleries? Yes, I have a very limited um, collection uh, because I believe what we produce is for people to. Mm-hmm. open and enjoy and i want to follow that uh, that uh, uh concept but i i'll keep the first our first rye first bottle of double loaf or one of the first you know not the sometimes the first go goes to uh the, the chairman of the board or the ceo mm-hmm. but uh, so i i keep firsts and uh so one of every master's collection for example but uh, everything else is is fair game and joy. So my collection is not all that big. And um, I do enjoy visiting our colleagues in the industry, uh, many of whom I'm close to. Um, just um, back in November, went and visited some of our some of our colleagues in the Bargetown area, spent a day out on the road, mm-hmm. lunch and things like that. So uh Great camaraderie, as most of us are members of the Kentucky Distillers Association, which is interested in in protecting and promoting the heritage of Kentucky bourbon, and uh, and again tasting uh, tasting new releases uh, just to see you know what's going on, and you know it might inspire us to do a new innovation, or it's just a tip of the hat, like good job, well done, because um, no one no one owns innovation, that's for sure. And do you enjoy any other spirits? Well, um, I still enjoy a, another whiskey. I enjoy single malt whiskeys. To, again, a great range of, of flavor and, and, and style. So I enjoy uh, malt whiskey, Scotch, Irish, as you noted, your introduction to Irish whiskey and, and other whiskey types. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But I really enjoy uh, a glass of wine. I enjoy exploring wine, uh, taking wine courses. We have a local master of a uh, master sommelier at one of our local restaurants um who is uh an expert obviously and uh again because again some of our experimentation has involved finishing in wine barrels the pinot barrels the chardonnay barrels uh, things like that so it's and i think wine if you want to learn about fruit character you can't do much better than a glass of wine and one of the things we're really proud about uh, Woodford Reserve is how fruity Woodford Reserve is because of our unique yeast strain. So, again, never go wrong with trying a different glass of wine now and then. And it seems like there almost, there almost might be some similarities, too, between winemaking and distilling and the aging process, right? I mean, you're Ex- it's putting you're in barrels and waiting right. years for it, right? And and same same thing with the wine. Yeah, that's very, very true. And, and we've been shipping used Woodford barrels to different wineries and they've been bourbon aging. We don't allow people to use our name, but some of these very well regarded um, uh, West coast reds that have aged and used bourbon barrels when they were our barrels. And we love to taste those, those samples as well as craft beers that have aged and used bourbon barrels. Again, we do a lot of, uh, of that business as well. And it's always a treat to get, to get a, a bottle or a six pack from the brewery saying, thanks, here's what your product went into. And it's always fun to taste those. Yeah. So I guess I didn't realize that, that it could go both ways then. So the, the wine barrels yeah. can use the whiskey barrels and whiskey barrels can use the wine barrels. 
Exactly. Yes. That's really interesting. Yeah. I never actually really thought of that. Last question. What would you give, what advice would you give to somebody that would want to follow in your footsteps and get into the, the distilling industry? Obviously, um, you know, with your parents being in it and then now you in it, um, you know, you should probably have some pretty good, good advice for somebody that would want to follow in your footsteps. Well, certainly. And thank you for asking that, Larry. Um, it might be a difficult um, recommendation to um, the, the, the young crowd because of everything I read and experience with our workforce is to be patient. Um, you know, things, things might not progress in your career as quickly as you would hope um, because you need, a, you need to learn, you need to observe. And when you're in a business like ours, that is very long-term uh, uh, cycle from production to uh, bottling and for people to, to enjoy it takes a long time, so just be patient and enjoy it. You have to be passionate about it. Don't don't look at it as a job. Look at it as a as an advocation, a long term advocation, and just have fun. And if you can't have fun in the spirits business, specifically the Kentucky bourbon business, you probably need to look elsewhere because this this is an industry that uh, you can surely enjoy. Yeah, well, great. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this, and I appreciate it, and great advice for, for everyone. Thank you. Thank you. That was Chris Morse, just the second master distiller of the Woodford Reserve Distillery. You can find Woodford Reserve at your favorite bar, restaurant, or package store, where you'll still see a signature, batch, and bottle number on every single bottle. You can find out more on Woodford Reserve by visiting their website at woodfordreserve.com and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Woodford Reserve. Download and follow the My Famed Explained podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search My Famed Explained. Have an idea for a future show or want to sponsor the show? You can email us at myfamedexplained at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Larry Gilbert, and this is the My Famed Explained podcast at myfamedexplained.com.